User error on my part. <laughs> it's good to be in this cool room with you. It is very humid out there, and the, I see less fan waving this service than last service, but it's great to be with you. May and June seem to be the month of graduations, doesn't it? Yeah, I see a lot of uh, people nodding. How, how many of you are, have gone to a graduation party or are going to a graduation party sometime this month? Yeah, lots of hands. Uh, we've been to several. Kim and I have been to several. Uh, one of them was very special and a great big cause for celebration, and that was our daughter graduated from college. One down, one go. Yeah. That is wonderful. I, I remember dropping her off at App State four years ago, and I was wondering, you know, what would the four years look like? At the end of the four years which would be 1,460 days, specifically 35,040 hours later, would she step across the stage and get her degree? The little did we see the twist that the next year she transferred from App State to UNCG. And so many questions started to surface. Like, uh-oh, how many credits are going to transfer in? What other classes is she going to have to take? Are we on the five-year plan now instead of the four-year plan? But we were confident that if she continued to take steps, even though she didn't know what, you know, lie ahead, that if she did that, she could have achieved her goal. And on May 6th, this year, she stepped across that stage and got her undergraduate degree in teaching. We love stories that resolve themselves like that, right? We love, you know, stories that have conflict. Uh-oh, she's going from app to UNC. What's going to happen? But we love when they resolve themselves to the way we want. I hope it can be done in four years. We love those kind of victory stories. And that's what I want to talk to us about today as we look at our faith with respect to this idea of victories. And so we're going to continue in this series. I'm going to ask that the ushers come down. They have Bibles. If you don't have one, uh, it's a gift from the church to you, or you can just look on the screen if you forgot yours today, and you can put it back when we're done. But I want us, as a result of our time today, to really identify what kind of faith do we have. Do you have a faith that's called an even though kind of faith? Where your faith will persevere even though it faces lots of challenges in your life. What, what would an even though kind of faith look like? Or do you have an if, when, because kind of faith? I have faith if this happens. Or when this happens, then life will be good. I want us to be able, just with a little time today, am I an even though kind of faith or am I an if, when, because kind of faith? And hopefully today just starts a journey for you where you start to change if you find yourself in that if, when, because spot that you start to turn and get anchored in the even though kind of faith. In this series, we've been in Hebrews, New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And this is like a moving story of all of these Old Testament great heroes of faith. And we've been in there. They're, 
they're not models for us because they're perfect people. Because if you read some of their backstories, you went to a, a Bible dictionary and you looked up some of these names, you'd be, they're, they're in this list of biblical greats? Wow, and they, they did all this stuff? Yeah, but they're in here because of their faith. And uh, we're going to look at uh, some of those today. Their real faith, the, the writer of Hebrews wants us to look right away at what is real faith. Before getting into the stories, verse 1 helps us get anchored in what is real faith. And so we've been reading it out loud as we start each week, and I want to do that this week as well. So if you'll read the definition or read verse 1 with me. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. It is so important that we get a clear understanding of what faith is. Because as we live our lives and, and, and you get challenges and you, you face certain things, all of a sudden, your faith can start to get a little fuzzy. And so it's important that we put that definition before us. And we've been looking at that definition and asking ourselves the question each week is, what does faith look like? What does faith look like in our generosity? What does faith look like in our decisions what does faith look like in our family? And today we're going to look at what does faith look like when it's opposed. So let's jump in. Uh, verse 32, the writer says, how much more do I need to say? Basically saying, I'm running out of paper here or, or papyrus. You know, hey, I'm running out of places to write. I've shared with you 10 people and examples in both of their lives, multiple examples of faith in each of their lives. And I have so many, I do not have time to share all of these with you. There's so many. It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised. We love faith that ends in earthly victories like this. Because the people that are listed here, they had great faith and they experienced great success as they lived out that faith. Like that of Gideon. You may have been in the church world forever and when you hear the story of Gideon, it's got all of those elements of an epic story like Ron spoke to us about last week. And when we hear that story, it doesn't grow old. I mean, the Israelites had overcome every enemy except one, the Midianites. They continued to be a thorn in their side, the Israelite side. And the Midianites, what they did was gather these little smaller nations around them, and they came against the Israelites. They would raid their harvest. They've been doing this for seven years. And the oppression was so bad that the Israelites would hide in the mountains and hide in caves as the Bible says uh, the Midianites appeared as a swarm, meaning they, you could not count the number of Midianites that were oppressing them. It was that bad and the Israelites have called out, God help us. And so Gideon is up there threshing his grain in secret so nobody comes after him. And an angel of God comes and says, 
Gideon, you are going to be the one who saves Israel. So Gideon gives them a bunch of excuses to which God says, time out. This isn't about you. I am going to give you the victory. This isn't you, it's me. So Gideon asked God, hey, can you do some divine magic with some fleece? Because if you can do that, then I will believe that you're going to do what you said you're going to do. And so after seeing that, Gideon goes and he gets the 32,000 men of Israel. 32,000 to go against the uncountable. Still seems impossible. Gets ready to go and God says, no, that's too many. So he tells those, Gideon says, those who are scared, you can leave. 22,000 men leave, leaving 10,000 against the uncountable, right? Ready to go to battle. God says, still too much. Because if you go to battle with your 10,000, you're going to think you got the win and it, it was nothing to do with me. So God has the Israelites go through this weird drinking water routine and gets the men down to 300. So Gideon gets the 300 in groups of 100, gives them a glass jar, a torch, and a trumpet. 300 against uncountable. Gideon gets them into place secretly around the Midianites. They're surrounding the camp, waiting for the call. Gideon makes the call, and then all of them blow their trumpets, their horns, smash their glass jars, and hold up a torch. And the 300 caused the uncountable number of Midianites to run into themselves, fighting themselves, running into the hands of the Israelites, and the 300 beat the uncountable Midianites. Don't you love stories of faith like that? Victorious faith, we love that. We connect with that kind of story. When it ends in earthly victories, we get it. I resonate with this kind of a story. Not because I'm wrestling armies, you know, here in, the, in Wake County. Nothing to do with that. But I have had faith stories turn out in earthly success. And I like those stories like you do. I have shared that godly counsel helped me a lot with fear and anxiety. So in 2000, while developing software and being a software developer, I said, I think God's going to call me into vocational ministry. So I proceeded to go to conferences and take classes. And I did that year after year after year. And in 2003, I went to a world conference on Christian counseling. And I remember sitting there in worship, first day, five days, 7,000 people there, and just prayed, God, Kim and I are here. If, if this is the year that you're going to have me step out of software development and have my ministry field there and move me somewhere else, so be it. Use this time. Nothing happened. Went through the conference, great conference, 2003, 2004, 2005. I land back at that same place, Opryland Hotel, World Conference for Christian Counseling. And I'm at worship again. I said, God, this is a familiar scene. We've been here before, and so I'm going to say the same thing. Um, we're here if this is the year. It's great worship. We ended up, my wife and I went to the same session in, in a track, that, that um, conference. So we went, we sat side by side. And I don't know how to describe this part of it, 
But the speaker was giving the topic and speaking, and this had never happened to me before, but it was as if I heard God's voice audibly, but I didn't. And I just felt this impression that said, you need to call the church and ask for Donnie. At the time, I was a small group leader, Donnie's small group's pastor. And so I turned to Kim because this, this was odd. And she's like, I need to talk to you. Something's going on. <laughs> I said, I, I do too. We got out of that session, and I remember leaning on the balcony of the Opryland Hotel, and I called the church number. I said, Donnie, this is Rob Perry, one of your small group leaders, and um, this is going to sound really weird, and, and I don't know why I'm calling you other than Kim and I were just sitting in the session for about an hour that had to do with something completely different. I think I've got to call you, um, and he said... I understand this. I've been on my knees praying for the past hour that God would raise up somebody to take my position so that I can move from small groups pastor to the lead pastor of this church. And I said, yeah, great God. I said, I don't know what that means. We're incredibly comfortable, but this is a matter of obedience. And we came back, we talked, I resigned and at IBM and came here. We love stories that resolve like that. I'm not, you have stories as well. Not as dramatic as what we are reading here in Hebrews 11. But you have stories of your faith that have been tested. And it came out victorious. Some of you may be single or you were single. And year after year, you prayed and you waited and you kept pure and you never thought you were going to be able to uh, get what you promised. And then all of a sudden, God gives you, blesses you with a mate and you go on to have a family. We love those kinds of stories that resolve that way to the way that we want them. Whether it's a teen or an adult who is lonely and just feels like nobody cares and then all of a sudden, they get to this lowest place in their life, and they meet Christ right there, someone who will never leave them nor forsake them. They get there, and then they realize they have more friends, fellow Christians and Christ followers that are part of their life now. What they wanted resolved. We like triumphant faith like the stories that we have just read. We like them then, we like modern day stories as well. We all want to experience that. But the writer has some more to say. Look at verse 35. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning, some were sawed in half, and others were killed with the sword. Some went out wearing skins of sheep and goats and destitute and oppressed and mistreated. We didn't expect that turn of events, did we? I mean, this is like a total 180 from this place of success to what appears to be people who have suffered defeat. Gideon had opposition, but he won. These people, to the world, seems that, that they failed. Prophet Zechariah was killed by stoning. Isaiah was the one tradition has that was sawed in two because he prophesied against Manasseh 
and he had Isaiah put on the board and, and cut from head to toe. Uriah, a prophet, was killed by the sword. And the writer here in Hebrews is helping us to see that some people experience, some people who have great faith experience earthly success, but some people who had great faith also suffered great affliction. And some of us, we grab our pen right now and we write, you know, draw a line on our Bible, like right at verse 35. And we say, I love living up here <laughs> in verse 22 to 34, right? But I don't want to live below the line. That, that doesn't seem like a victorious kind of faith. Because it looks like from a worldly perspective, that faith failed. But it's not true. Here's something that's true about our faith. Faith does not guarantee earthly victory. The reality is sometimes our faith to the world will appear like losing. And to be brutally honest, we do not experience oppression like what we're reading here in Scripture. Here in the U.S., we have no idea what oppression is like. It's not like this. It's not like what other countries are ex uh, experiencing right now. But we still uh, experience opposition to our faith. You will. If your belief is in God, you are going to experience opposition. And it can come from three sources. It can come from yourself. It can come from others around you that are causing you a hard time questioning your faith and ridiculing you. But the real source is Satan, the, the big enemy. So your enemy is not really your boss, your co-worker, your neighbor. There's this whole spiritual battle that's in the unseen space that is trying to take your attention away from God. And that process looks like oppression, looks like you're being rejected. And when that happens, when your faith is opposed, what does it look like for you and I? Well, some of you may have experienced this. Maybe you were skipped over for a promotion because your sales numbers didn't hit what they should have, but you were not willing to sacrifice your integrity and cheat and lie to make those numbers. Maybe some of you, especially teens and those of youth that you're being made fun of or you lost a girlfriend or a boyfriend because of your commitment to stay pure. People around you will find it hard to believe that you live out what you're reading, living out your faith, that you're willing to forgive somebody that did that to you. And so they'll ridicule you about why would you ever do that because they did this. Why would you extend grace, mercy, and love in those cases? And so they'll challenge you because you are standing firm in biblical truth. You see, sometimes our faith can look like losing here on earth. And why is it important that we even talk about below the line here? Why is it that we need to understand that sometimes our faith does not translate into earthly victories? Because if we define real faith as like if this happens or when that happens or circumstantial kinds of faith, then we're going to be constantly disappointed 
We're going to feel a sense of hopelessness. We're going to question our faith. Do I really have faith? Because if I had faith, then these things should work out that I was hoping for. Maybe I don't have enough faith. And here's what happens when we start to do that. Maybe I don't have enough faith. And so we start to pull back. We go through the motions at church. We're not even really thinking. And then eventually we don't even go to church and get the support of our local church community. We step away from that. We stop our devotions and we end up drifting from God and we say we don't feel God. You see, when Satan can get you and I to waver like that, he experiences the victory and we experience the defeat living that way. That, that definition of faith being earthly victories is not right. God even says that. Verse 39, he says it through the writer of Hebrews. All of these people earned a good reputation. This is a repeat of what's said in verse 2. Verse 2, same thing, good reputation. Some of your translations will say commended for, approved of. And I love how in verse 38, it says the world was not worthy of these Old Testament saints, but God declares them worthy, commended for, approved of, good reputation because of their faith. None of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. You see, the faith of these Old Testament heroes, it's anchored in something different. It's not in earthly stuff like money, jobs, experiences, and all of that. They realize something that we need to realize and hold desperately onto, and it is this. Faith is the victory. Sometimes just making it through what's going on and not quitting shows faith. See, our faith isn't declared real if, when, because of all of these things. That isn't faith at all. That's faith in seeing things. And then believing. But what's faith again? Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. So my question to each of us, and I include myself in this, what did the heroes hope in and have confidence in? What was it that they were so sure of, that, but yet they could not see it? Verse 35 gives the answer. They place their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some of your translations may say that they might obtain a better resurrection, as if what they're about to go through was a form of a resurrection. Here's the backstory, because it was. You see, if they could denounce God and just give up their belief, then they were as sure as dead, because they were going to be tortured, stoned, Killed with a sword, sawed in half. That sounds pretty final to me, right? So they were as good as dead. But if they renounced their belief in Jesus, renounced their belief in God, then they would be delivered, able to live a form of restoration, a form of resurrection. 
but they refused to do that. They looked forward and hoped in a better resurrection. You see, the saints had their hope in two places. They had their hope that God would deliver them in their current circumstance, but they also believed in eternal life with him through a future king. They knew that there was a strong chance that they may die going into what they were doing, but they didn't go into it like we think um, suicide bombers, like through this, that their sacrifice would earn them restoration with God. No, they believed that God had the power to save them, but even if he didn't, they looked forward to salvation by a future king. They looked forward. We read that a lot. We have the privilege of New Testament believers, New Testament saints, for those of you who are Christ followers. They looked forward. We look back on that fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And together, we have confidence and assurance that we will spend an eternity with Christ. See, Paul also said this. Paul also lived out like this. What did his even though kind of faith look like? Philippians chapter 1. I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ. Not caving under the pressure of culture to say something, to do something that aligns with culture. Paul's saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stand for Jesus as I have been in the past, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ. Not satisfy self, not bring honor to me or get what I want, but for Jesus. Whether I live or die, for me to live means living for Christ, and dying is even better. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. I like that, this idea of citizenship. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, if you look at verse 13, that same idea of citizenship is there. The writer says they lived as foreigners here on earth. They were looking forward to their heavenly homeland, a better place. And so our faith isn't defined by earthly victory. Our faith is the victory. It is so easy to live our faith, live it out when we see earthly success and wins and losses. But what does our faith look like when we face defeat or what appears to be defeat? What does that look like? Does your faith even accept the idea that there can be earthly defeats this side of heaven? It has to. It is not biblical to think otherwise. And if, you, if your definition of faith doesn't include seeing some earthly defeats, then you are going to live frustrated, angry, tired, bitter, alone. And so the question is, where does your hope lie? Do you find yourself asking the question, when this happens, then I, I'll, I'm gonna, that's going to be better. That's going to be a better time. Or when that person finally accepts me for what I believe in, then, we're go- then my relationships are going to be good. That's an if-when-because if, when, kind of faith. And Paul will say, 
You're living as a citizen of the earth. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews would say, you are putting your hope in the wrong place. There is a better place to put that. You and I need to live beyond successes, beyond the wins and the losses here on earth and to Jesus, the one who lost it all so that we may have a better resurrection. And if you don't have that kind of faith, if you're not a Christ follower and you wonder what all that is, Jesus is the one in whom we are to anchor our faith. If you don't know him, don't leave here today without at least beginning the conversation of what you're wrestling with before having a relationship with him. And some of you are already Christ followers. And the reality is we experience defeats and they get tiring, don't they? And you feel yourself tired because you're battling losses and defeats, earthly defeats, and you're tired. Remember, the writer of Hebrews was writing about these Old Testament great heroes of faith. Why? To encourage the people who were reading this, going through similar things, saying, have the patient faith. When you do that, it will help you endure and help you get through it. Put your hope in that. You see, when we have faith, hope, and love that is in God, the the world or people can't touch that kind of thing. And so it's, I, I pray that for you and I, that we ask God to help us actually see spiritual victories that are going on in the day to day. But God, give us assurance and confidence when we don't see those things, that we have the, the assurance of the promise that we have in the resurrection, where death will be defeated and Christ's victory will be complete. Let's pray. Father, this is a kind of message that we relate so much with the victories, but we also look at your son who experienced defeat to the world. But he calls us to a much different place. And so I pray for each one of us here to ask a simple question, where is my hope placed? Am I living as a foreigner in this land or have I set my citizenship here in earth? and going on the roller coaster with what that means. Father, may you begin to do the work to change us from living from as an earthly citizen and to anchor our citizenship in a heavenly home who just happens to live it out temporarily here, pointing others to you and living our life under your leadership. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.